Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode. We're going to talk about a personal health challenge and a very big obstacle that I've had to overcome in my life. And we're going to talk about some of the lessons that I have learned from it. Welcome to A Ginger and Her Dog. I am Tania Shaw, and your my canine co-captain is Aries. So today I wanted to talk a little bit about my own um, personal health challenge um, that was a really huge obstacle in our lives, um, not only my life, but the life of my kids and my husband. And some of the things that, you know, I've learned from going through this that we can apply to everyday life and even other challenges that we face in life. So I wanted to start out by just kind of talking about um, my diagnosis and kind of go through pretty briefly the um, treatment and, you know, the process that I went through to get healthy and then kind of end up with these lessons that I've learned and how they apply in any other obstacle or any other kind of challenge that you may face in life. So back in about 2005, I was diagnosed with polycystic kidney disease, and this is a, a chronic kidney disease that is um, genetic, and I always knew that there was a chance um, that I would have polycystic kidney disease. Kind of always hoped that that wasn't going to be the case, um, but I was diagnosed with that shortly after I found out that I was pregnant with our oldest daughter, Lana, and so it definitely presented a huge obstacle, a huge um, shock in how am I, how do I face this? I'm about to bring a child into the world. All of these things kind of come rushing through your head. And, you know, what happens if she has this, these, all these kind of things that are, you know, start spiraling your thought process. And so with this diagnosis, I had to go see um, a specialist, a a nephrologist, which is a a kidney specialist. And um, at that point in time, they told me um, there's no treatment. There's no cure for this. That basically you, you won't have any symptoms until maybe you're in your 40s. And then you'll have to go on dialysis. And then you'll live the rest of your life on dialysis. And then eventually you know, this will be the disease that causes you to pass away. So those are pretty, um, pretty heavy, you know, um, discussions that, you know, your doctor's having with you when you're 28 years old and you think life will, you know, is, there's still so much of life left to live and you're about to bring this child into the world and you want to grow, you know, and see your child graduate and go to college and do all the things that you want your child to do. So it's kind of overwhelming and it caused, um, you know, a lot of stress in just my own thought process and my own feelings, um, as well as, you know, in that of mine and my husband's Rocky's. And then, you know, just having to go through this, this process. So, I was monitored very closely during my pregnancy um, just to make sure my kidneys continued to function. 
And at that time, there wasn't really a decline in kidney function. It was just we knew that these cysts were there and that they existed. And, um, you know, so life kind of went on and you kind of learn to live with this diagnosis that, you know, one day is going to kind of pop up again. And but you don't really know when. But we chose just to kind of make the best of life and move forward with, you know, living life the way we wanted to live it. You know, a few years later, we welcomed our youngest daughter, Layla, into the world. And life, again, we just went on living our lives, you know, working our jobs, providing for our kids, raising our kids the way, you know, we felt we needed to raise them. And then um, in 2018, all of that kind of changed when I started to feel worse. And I, you know, my doctor, I think back in 2017, or maybe even earlier than that, um, had kind of said, you need to go back and you need to see the nephrologist. At this point, your kidney function is in a decline and you need the special care. And so I had went to a nephrologist and, um, and Dr. Karana was great. And it was immediately like, you're a perfect candidate for a transplant. And this is the first time that, you know, I'd really ever thought about, you know, a kidney transplant. Of course, I knew that they were possible, just not be sure if that was a possibility in my case. It wasn't ever mentioned when I was initially diagnosed. And so, um, so she really sat down and we, we went through, you know, what I needed to do. She referred me to Emory. I started the process of getting tested to determine, you know, if I was a good candidate for a transplant, um, how healthy I was as far as like withstanding that type of surgery and that type of recovery. And um, thankfully, I was approved for a transplant and went on the list, but I wasn't yet sick enough for a transplant. Like my kidney function hadn't declined to a point where a transplant was, a needed transplant was kind of imminent. But I had already went through the process. So once I kind of hit that point, then they would start looking for me a um, a kidney. And so, uh, again, I think this was back in 2016, 2017, that I went through the transplant process to to be put on the waiting list. 2018 came around and I started to f- really feel a decline. I started to... Um, uh, deal with a lot of nausea and uh, fatigue, just constantly, constantly tired, um, dealing with uh, just a lack of appetite. And so I started losing weight. And I kind of thought like, you know, most people would losing weight, like, yay, I'm losing weight. But I wasn't losing weight in a really healthy way. And um, And it really was because I wasn't eating. And the lack of appetite and just, you know, the constant nausea. And, um, but I was very determined that I was not going to go on dialysis. And dialysis is a process uh, for you, those of you who may not be familiar, where they kind of hook you up to a machine. Hemodialysis is they basically run your blood from your body into a machine and it filters out all of the toxins and all the impurities, which is what your kidneys normally do. And then they put the clean blood back into you. And this is something that has to be done several times a week. And it is, you know, can be very, a very long process. 
um, several hours at a time. It just depends on um, a lot of your, you know, what your body needs. And so I was very determined that that was not going to happen. And, um, you know, we put out the word that I needed a donor. I had several family members, some community members, complete strangers that went through the process at Emory to determine whether or not they could be a living donor. And none of them made it through that process. It is very uh, difficult to be approved as a living donor because they want to make sure that when you, when you donate a kidney, that it's not going to be um, harmful to your own health. You can live perfectly healthy life with only one kidney, but, um, you know, they want to make sure that that's not going to be harmful to you. And so in that, going through that process, um, a lot of uh, people who applied or who, who wanted to be donors were not able to be donors. So, um, so, but I continued to kind of hold out on that, hoping and waiting and wishing all of that, that I was not going to have to go on dialysis until around December, mid-December, right before Christmas. Um, actually, I think it was like the week before Christmas, I go to have a follow-up. I had just, Thanksgiving had been tough. I couldn't eat anything. And my husband was very much like, you have to go see your doctor. And I can be a little stubborn. And so I uh, ended up going to see my doctor and she said, you have to have dialysis like by the end of the week. Like it's no longer optional. And because I had kind of put it off for a while, I had to have what's called a permacath put in, which is a little port type thing that they put into your chest. It goes into your jugular vein and that's how they uh, pull out your blood and put 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 your blood back in in the simplest terms. Um, it's kind of the mechanism that they use to cycle your blood with dialysis. And they told me we can put that in and you can have that for, you know, six months, maybe a year, depending on if you don't get any infections and all of that kind of stuff. Um, and, you know, that'll give you a little bit more time without having to have something permanent done like a graft or a fistula, which is usually put in the arm. And that's usually what um, most people who have to undergo dialysis have to have. But there wasn't enough time for me to get a graft or a fistula and it heal in time to be used. So that's why I had to have the permacath put in. And um, it was, uh, that was a tough because I went in and they said, oh, uh, your potassium's too low. We can't put you to sleep because your heart may stop. So uh, I had to be awake while they put the permacath in and that was very challenging and scary um to be awake during that type of I mean it was a quick surgery but you're still awake and you know you kind of still know you're conscious you know what's going on but I had a great little nurse uh in the operating room that just kind of kept me focused and um talked to me the entire time and so we got that permacath put in but unfortunately, it did not work. And when they went to give me dialysis, it um, wasn't functioning properly. So I had to go back and have a second one put in. By this time, the hospital had been really pumping in the potassium, um, which is not a pleasant IV. It burns. And um, 
we went through the process of getting another permacath. Thankfully, at this point, they were able to put me to sleep the second time around. And that one worked and functioned properly. And so I was able to start dialysis. And so I was in the hospital for a few days after that as they continued to give me dialysis and um, try to pull up all of my electrolyte levels to a point where it was normal. And so, uh, so those were definitely challenging times, very challenging times. And I was very fortunate to have um, my husband by my side and, you know, family members that were making sure my kids got back and forth to school and making sure my kids could come see me in the afternoons after they were done with school. And, um, you know, so it was, you know, it's very important, you know, to have that family around you that kind of help take care of you in times where you really, you really need the help. And so life goes on. I started dialysis and through this process became very challenging for our family, right? Because I was on dialysis three days a week for four hours at a time. And the, um, and it was difficult, you know, I would try to work as much as I could and then leave work and go straight to dialysis. And, um, my kids were in school and, you know, they got out of school. I was still on dialysis. So we had a lot of arrangements to make that weren't typical. And so we were very fortunate that we were surrounded by a lot of great community. People that didn't, that, you know, knew our kids, but maybe didn't necessarily know us personally. But I had um, the great support of the school system here in Chattooga County. I could not have asked for better support from the school system, you know, letting them know, hey, this is what's going on. Um, they made transportation arrangements to get my kids, like, to me after school. Um, one of the teachers and one of the assistant principals would make sure that my kids got to me. Now, the dialysis center was right down the road from the um, the elementary school. So they would make sure that my daughter got on this bus at the middle school, rode over to the elementary school, and then they would give them a ride. And then they would just come sit in the lobby and wait on me to be done. But they really pulled together in helping my kids, not only with their transportation, but like this was an emotional toil on them, on my kids being, you know, seeing me so sick and unable to really kind of take care of myself and manage the house and do all the things that mommies do. And, um, you know, they really provided an opportunity for my kids to be able to reach out to the teachers and have conversations about the things that bothered them that they didn't want to bother me with. They didn't want to add to what mommy was already dealing with. And so lots of the teachers, um, several of the teachers kind of stepped in and you know, helped my kids talk about the things that were bothering them and encourage them um, and got them through this period of time in their life where things were in an upheaval and they didn't really know, like, is mommy going to be okay? Or, you know, is mommy going to die? Is mommy, you know, they had all these questions. And no matter what I told them, you know, they would go to school and they had all these things running through their heads and 
Lana was dealing with a lot of anxiety at the time, and um, she had lots of great teachers that would like help her through that process of, okay, if you're having these thoughts, let's redirect, those types of things. Um, and I couldn't have asked for better support system. And so, um, you know, so let's talk about that. That is one of the things, one of these lessons that I've learned, okay, in dealing with all of this is the importance of connection, the importance of community. And I know we've all heard the, um, you know, when I think of these things, I think of um, these types of quotes that you hear, how, you know, it takes a village to raise a child or no man as an island. Um, these types of things where, you know, you hear these quotes and, you know, I've gotten to kind of reflect and think about these things on how hard life is how unnecessarily hard life is when you isolate yourself. And as an introvert, I understand the how hard it is to ask for. For me, it's very hard to ask for help or to be in a vulnerable position. Um, I don't know that's necessarily because I'm an introvert. It's probably just because I'm stubborn and like to take care and do everything myself. And so that can be... Uh, both a good thing and a bad thing. And when you're going through difficult times, it's okay to ask for help. It's okay to be vulnerable and to let someone know, hey, I'm struggling. Can you help me with this? Um, and so these are the, you know, this importance of connection and community because we would not have been able to um, really get through this this period of life on, di on dialysis without the support and the help of the community. Um, having my mom come up and clean my house or having somebody, you know, come in and do, you know, provide a gift card or something that helped with a meal one night that I didn't have to cook. And so those things, um, those are things that you, when you think of other people, um, and you hear of their struggles, it doesn't necessarily always have to be something really big or a really grand gesture, you know, being able to say, hey, let me cook a meal for you, or hey, can I come clean for you? Those things, um, those gestures go a long way too. And uh, so the importance of connection and community, not only as you go through a struggle, but as you are a community member or a family member or a friend and someone else is going through a struggle, remember that there are things that you may offer them that they may not want to ask for themselves. And so that is one of the lessons I have learned. Um, and as we, you know, go through dialysis, as I was going through dialysis, um, kind of going to um, one of the other lessons that I learned was really about taking care of myself, both physically, emotionally, um, and even, you know, spiritually. And, you know, these things are important to remember um, that you have to focus on yourself sometimes, and that's okay. And so with, with me going through dialysis, uh, there were, I was tired, um, exhausted all the time. And in a way that was even worse than the tiredness that I felt from the illness. And so, and I know a lot of other people who have gone through different types of treatments for different types of illnesses have probably felt that same, um, just 
tired to the bones. And I don't really know of another way to ex- to describe it, but just exhausted with the, I mean, to like the hundredth degree. But even with that exhaustion, I knew that in order to get a kidney, I had to make myself the best candidate possible. I sat there in those dialysis rooms and listened to other people talk about the reasons that they weren't approved for a kidney transplant or the reasons they didn't get one and was absolutely determined that though I was not going to be told no. And so I looked at my diet. I looked at what what do I need to change? I looked at, um, yes, I was tired, but I forced myself to go to the gym. It may have been 10 minutes. It may have been a 10-minute workout. I may have went in and did you know, 10 minutes of yoga or five minutes on the treadmill. But I built, I built that up until, you know, I was working out a little bit more on a regular schedule, kind of pushing myself, getting there, eating right, um, you know, eating right and working out and, you know, getting myself in the best possible physical condition, right? So that when came time for me to get my transplant, because I had, there was no other option. I was going to get a transplant that I had. Um, I was in the best physical condition possible. The surgery would go well. It would make my recovery easier. And then, you know, emotionally as well, like really kind of preparing for like, what is that going to look like when, you know, I get that call, you know, when, you know, so these are things that you need to prepare, you know, you need to do to take care of yourself, wherever that's physically, emotionally, spiritually, if you're a spiritual person, um, and you need to be in the right frame of mind, um, prayer, whatever it is that meditation, whatever works for you, those are things that uh, you need to prioritize as well. So that was one of the other uh, lessons that I learned from this challenge. And as we went through dialysis, um, I eventually was on dialysis for about 11 months and continuing to expect that transplant one day. I knew one day. And for me, this is another, uh, the third lesson is, is the power of just positive thinking and being positive and learning, um, really how to, we all have negative thoughts. We have, there are days, I mean, you cannot escape the reality, especially when you're sick, you know that you're sick, but how to turn those negative thoughts into, okay, but this is temporary. This is temporary. One day I'm going to get a transplant. And then these are the things that I'm going to do. And so sometimes it's like, visualizing what your future is going to look like and looking at it from a positive perspective, even though things feel negative today, as far as like how you feel, you may feel tired, you may feel cranky. um, You may be experiencing some real hard financial difficulties that are, you know, you're going through. Everyone feels that way and goes through those things. And sometimes, and, and it's the power of like being optimistic and, not wallowing in whatever your circumstances is, but being able to look at it and being like, okay, this is temporary. Okay, this is what I can do to fix this. Okay, these are, um, you know, the, the challenge is this, but this is how I'm going to get through this. And it may be little steps. It may be baby steps, you know, of just one day coming up and, you know, turning a negative thought that you have into and learning how to 
immediately twist it and make it positive. And the thing about positivity is there's actually science that backs up this um, positive thinking. And so, um, and it has a lot of other, you know, benefits. You know, one thing about power, the power of positive thinking is it, um, you know, makes you, it enhances your coping skills when you're able to do that. And it also like leads you to maybe less episodes of being depression or mood changes. Um, and so these are, like I said, these are these things that you can do. And so um, just kind of some things that some practical tips to give you with as far as figuring out uh, how to think positively, because I know for a lot of us, that's a challenge is, you know, looking for good things in life, right? Finding you have a situation, but maybe the situation's bad, but what about what in your situation is good and looking for those, those little things. Okay. And maybe it helps you to write it down. To write down every single day, something good. All right. And to keep in a journal. Like I said, visualizing your future and, and going forward that way, which brings me to another lesson I learned in all of this is Finding the joy in the little things of life, these everyday moments, okay? We, life is full of everyday moments, right? They're not the big things that happen. They're not the big celebrations. And it can be even seem mundane, but finding a way to find joy in these little things in life, to practice that. And so, and it can be, you know, just as simple as a laugh. Hearing my kids, like, actually laugh in a way that's, like, um, authentic, where something just really cracks them up, um, is, like, the best sound in the world to me, is hearing them laugh. Even my husband, I love to hear him laugh in a way that is, like, really, truly, authentically funny, Um and so those are things, the little things that you have to find joy in. And it may be your kids, it may be your husband, it may be something that you do that, um, you know, you, you realize uh, finding joy in cooking a meal, finding joy in baking, finding joy in creating, you know, maybe you enjoy art and, you know, you haven't had a chance or you haven't been able to or you haven't made time to do those things that you enjoy, right? Your hobbies. Um, I enjoy cross-stitching. It's one of my hobbies. Um, and so sometimes just setting aside some time just to sit in the quiet and be able to stitch uh, brings me just some relief from the stress of the day, the relief from, you know, the, the, the burdens that you carry around every day. And so those are things that I enjoy doing. And so I would encourage you to find the joy in the little things, whether it is fixing a meal, whether it is, you know, writing a text message or whatever it is that brings you joy in life. Those are the things that you need to learn to kind of revel in, especially when you're going through a hard time, when you're going through a, a difficult challenge that seems larger than life. 
is finding the little things to focus on. And those are the things that you hold fast to. Those are the things that you hold on to um, kind of as a, a lifeline. And so the last thing kind of goes along with finding joy is practicing gratitude. When you find those things that you that bring you joy in your life, learning to be truly grateful for the things that bring you joy, the things that are going good, the people that are in your life that really add to your life, right? The ones that enhance your life. And for me, um, practicing gratitude is really, really um, important. I was very fortunate to get a um, kidney transplant in November of 2019 and my I got a call um, November 12th and from my transplant coordinator at Emory Hospital and she said we have you scheduled for surgery on the 27th that's going to be the day before Thanksgiving is that okay with you and I'm like uh yes that is perfect for me right so it was so uh, really kind of just, um, it was really awesome to have something to be so grateful for during a season where you're really practicing that gratitude, that that uh, thankfulness, that spirit of, of really being thankful for, for what you're given and for what you have. And so uh, we spent Thanksgiving in the hospital um, with a brand new kidney. And it was um, definitely an experience um, to have, you know, Thanksgiving in a, in a hospital. Uh, nobody really wants to spend the holidays in there, but it was a great, a great reason to, to be there. And so we, um, so I was able to get a kidney transplant. And so November 27th of 2023, coming up next month, will be my four-year anniversary of um, my kidney transplant. And so I'm healthy, you know, still seeing my doctor, they're still monitoring everything. And so, you know, now it's moving forward in, in life, um, getting to experience those things that I wasn't sure of for a while that I, I would get to experience. My daughter will graduate this May in 2024. And, um, you know, when you go through something that is life altering, you you do question, you question yourself, you question, you know, am I going to make it through this? But I think um, these lessons that I've learned really can pull you through any, any obstacle that you're facing or any challenge that you're facing is, you know, the importance of finding those connections, the importance of embracing the community around you. There are people out there that love you. There are people out there that, you know, want to be connected to you. Sometimes you just have to open your arms and look at, you know, the people around you. Are there people that you've somehow pushed away? Are there people that you're not embracing that are there um, that want to love and support you? And then taking care of yourself physically, emotionally, spiritually, making your self-care a priority. And I know as moms, making yourself a priority seems very selfish. But um, it's kind of like, you know, when you when you fly, one of the things they tell you in the little safety section is how important it is to put your mask on first 
before you help whoever's next to you that might need help, you know, your child or, you know, another loved one. And so self-care is very much like that. It's very important to take care of yourself. Because you can't take care of others if you are not healthy yourself. And so, you know, not just physically, but emotionally and, and spiritually, you know, looking for um, however that is, how, whatever that looks like for you. And certainly it's okay to ask for help. And if that means that, you know, you feel like you need to see a therapist, um, a counselor of some sort, you know, a religious uh, pastor or whoever, whatever, however it is that you function in your life, it is perfectly okay to ask for help and um, make sure that you're taking care of yourself. And then keeping that positive attitude. And I know that can be very difficult at times, but making sure that when you have those negative infiltrating thoughts that you're able to kind of stop yourself and say, oh, no, you know, when you're, you know, in a situation where you're like, oh, my gosh, how is this going to happen? And then you have to like kind of spin that, you know, when you're like, am I going to be able to pay the bills this week? Yes, I am. You know, having to, you know, spin that to, okay, well, instead of I can't do this, spin it into an I can and then figuring out how how to make that happen. And so really being able to visualize what you want for your future and really kind of going after that and, and maintaining that positive attitude and not wallowing in that um, self-doubt or self-pity or um, whatever it is, your circum circumstances at the moment. And then make sure to find joy in those little things in life, those everyday moments, Whatever brings you joy, being able to participate in that and really appreciate that and practicing gratitude for what you've been given in life, for your, um, you know, your family, your friends and, and those types of things that uh, really bring your life joy and being grateful every day for that. And like I said, if you're struggling with some of these things, um, a journal is a really great way to um, start to writing down like, okay, what am I grateful for? Um, you know, what, it, what, how can I think of a positive, you know, writing down like these, these are my positive thoughts and, you know, affirmations. And, um, you know, so those are types of things that you can do. Um, you know, as to, to really practice these things in life. And so, you know, finding the joy and your connection and community and taking care of yourself, you're practicing self-care and practicing gratitude and making sure that you are, you know, practicing positive thoughts. And so, so these are the things that I just kind of, the lessons that I wanted to leave you with about my journey and um, with, you know, having a, a, a major illness that um, thankfully has ended up in a wonderful uh, outcome in that, you know, these are the things that I've been able to um, overcome. But these are the things that I've learned, that I've learned through these types of things. And, um, you know, really wanting to um, share that with you. And hopefully 
you know, those are things that you can kind of take with you and, um, you know, practice on a daily basis. And it makes life so much better when, you know, you're not constantly like down on yourself and you're practicing these things. Like I said, a lot of these are backed by science. You know, they have physical and mental and emotional um, benefits. And maybe that's something we'll get into maybe in a later podcast. But um, so in the meantime, stay tuned for our upcoming episodes. We're going to continue to uh, dig into, you know, human experiences and learning together. So make sure to subscribe to our podcast. And also, if you want some reading, um, I do have a blog. It is called Expresso Reflections, and it's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-O-R-E-F-L-E-C-T-I-O. O-N-S, ExpressoReflections.com, and um, I post uh, a blog about weekly, and sometimes it goes along with the podcast. This week's does go along with the podcast a little bit, and then sometimes it may be completely different, but check out my blog and uh, make sure you subscribe to our podcast so that you don't miss any episodes, and thank you for joining us on A Ginger and Her Dog, and we cannot wait to connect with you next time, and remember... Embrace the moment and then cherish the journey. Just like-